Luke 1, Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he said to our fathers. Well, good morning. I want you to think for a moment about your favorite Christmas song. One that you find yourself singing in the shower or in the car as you drive along the road this season. One that maybe has just uh, has wonderful memories for you. That song for me was and is the uh, song Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Part of the reason it has uh, good memories uh, for me is that we were in San Francisco, uh, mid-1980s, whole family, and we would always uh, take Christmas time and we'd go to the city in San Francisco and uh, enjoy uh, time as a family. And as we walked along Pier 39, which is full of all kinds of shops and, and just a beautiful setting and fun, Christmas lights everywhere, my parents see off to the right-hand side, they see this uh, recording studio. And so they thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun to record the, the Ritchie family Christmas album? <laughs> Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And my brother and I are like, no, that wouldn't be fun. But they're like, come on, let's do this. So we, we go into the recording studio, and, and back then, you know, to be in there and have the words come up on the screen, karaoke style, it was a big deal. And so then we began to sing, Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire. And it's recorded. And it's the most awful Christmas album <laughs> you'll ever hear. My father thought it was magnificent, uh, because his voice really was over all of our voices. And he thought it was just great. He still has it today at the house. Breaks it out every Christmas so we can hear him sing. <laughs> One of the most beloved Christmas songs actually started out as an advertising gimmick. Montgomery Ward got a hold of an executive, advertising executive, Robert May, and tapped him on the shoulder and said, listen, I want you to write a a story about Christmas and about Santa, and we want to have Santa have the story at Montgomery Ward, and so as children come, we'll give out the story. And wrote a little booklet, a little poem that Santa would give out as the children came to visit, became beloved. Do you have any idea what that story was? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So Robert May had written the story, and Santa handed it out, and they handed out 2.5 million copies, and they kept handing out more. And by 1946, they had 6 million copies that 
the poem had been distributed. Then in 1949, they decided, hey, let's make this thing come to life. So they put it to music. And Johnny Marks, who was actually May's brother-in-law, put it to music. And then they offered it out there for different artists to sing. Bing Crosby said, no, not going to do it. Dinah Shore didn't want anything to do with it. But that singing cowboy, Gene Autry, got a hold of it. And it became one of the most popular songs. 25 million copies sold. The most copies of a Christmas song sold today. You know, it's a fun song. It's silly. It's catchy. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And when we think about the Christmas season and we think about the real meaning of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, there is something about his birth that cries out for music, for a song. There's something about his birth that that puts us in a place where we must sing about this good news. That God has drawn near. And it's through his son, Jesus, a babe in the manger. This song will impact so many more than 25 million. It will impact the world. And it will change our lives forever. If we receive the song and the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to talk about the very first Christmas song ever inspired by the birth of Jesus. It's a prayer, but it was put into poetry and then put into song in the ancient times. And it probably is one of the most influential songs ever written. Probably one of the most powerful, insightful, heartfelt songs about the birth of Christ. And it came from a young girl who was maybe about 15 years old. And her name was Mary. You see, for Mary, this song was not just something that she sang in the shower or in the car along the way. It was her life lived out. It was all about everything that God was doing with her. She lived these words that Bill read this morning. Gabriel, if you look in your Bibles on chapter 1, Gabriel shows up, starting in verse 26, and he shows up in Galilee, And the angel said to her, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So this greeting from the angel wasn't all of a sudden great news for her. Look what the scriptures even say. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you shall give his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Here's something that's true about this Jesus. 
His kingdom will never end. Here is this message brought by Gabriel to Mary. And it wasn't necessarily welcome news. One of the things that you start to realize is, here's Mary, all of a sudden she's unwed, she's pregnant. She didn't know at that point how all of this is going to turn out. The reality is, the one she loved, Joseph, could totally reject her. According to the Torah, the Jewish law, a young woman found in this state, unwed and pregnant, was to be taken out and stoned to death. You are going to be with child, Mary. He is going to be the Messiah, Jesus. His kingdom will reign forever. For sure, somebody who knew of the situation would spread rumors and gossip. Mary lived in the town of Nazareth, small, small town. And so for sure, her name would be attacked and slandered. You ever live in a small town? You know how rumors get out. And then they stick with you. If indeed this child was to be the Messiah, then there would be kings and rulers who would not be very happy about that. And there was a king at the time, and his name was Herod. And when he heard that there was a king that was to be born in Bethlehem, he sent out people to find out where he was so that he could kill the child. Mary would be on the run for her life, exiled as a fugitive. And she would move to a strange country, a strange land, and run to Egypt. In a very real way, Mary suffered for Jesus long before the Messiah suffered for her. But she magnified God. She knew him to be mighty. So when Gabriel came to her and said, you are going to have this child, her response was, behold, the Lord's servant. Let it be according to your word. Mary runs off to Elizabeth, her relative, and she begins to write as she hears the excitement of Elizabeth and that Elizabeth exclaims, oh my goodness, the baby in my womb leapt when you showed up. You are highly favored. You are the mother of our Lord. And as Mary and Elizabeth shared fellowship together, she couldn't help but write this song, our very first Christmas song. It is sometimes called the Magnificat, because in Latin it starts that way. My soul glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul exalts the Lord. John Ortberg says this, everybody's soul magnifies something. That's part of being human. To magnify something is to give it an extraordinarily large place in your life. Your mind wanders to it when you have nothing else to think about. Your desires get shaped around it. Your identity gets tied up in it. Your joys and your sorrows are all wrapped up 
on whether or not you're getting more or less of it. It's part of the human condition. We all magnify something. And so I think that's the question for all of us. What do you magnify? What do you exalt? What do you make large in your life? Mary will magnify God. Because Mary knows God. She doesn't just know the Bible. She doesn't know about God. She knows God deeply, intimately. So your will be done, because I know you, God. In the middle of what is an amazing scandal, you go, what does Mary have to sing about? She has to sing about the awesomeness of God. To her, God was awesome. That was a word given to God way before the surfers of Southern California got a hold of it. Bigger than everything. Amazing. Wonderful. Beautiful. Awesome. And so she's saying about her awesome Lord, she's saying a song of present joy, of future prophecy. The thing that's incredible about Mary, you gotta, you got to get this, It wasn't as though she could just click on Bible Gateway and get the Word of God. It wasn't as though the Bible was readily accessible to her. Maybe in the synagogue, if she was able to go and listen, the Word of God would be spoken in the synagogue, but they were on scrolls, weren't they? And then they were put away. You didn't have access to them. Many scholars believe that young Mary, 15 years old, had memorized the Word of God, especially the Psalms, that it had become part of her life. She had cherished the Word of God. As we read this song, this very first Christmas song, it contains at least 15 Old Testament quotations or allusions, especially out of the Psalms, and then there's Hannah's song, where Hannah is thankful to God that he's looked upon her humble state as she's given a child she could not conceive for a long time. Mary had God's word in her heart. And so my soul magnifies the Lord. I got a Christmas present last year. This, this box from my mother and father. And I was like, great, I was expecting an Xbox 360, but this will do. And I opened it up, and there was a magnifying glass inside. And I'm like, what am I to do with this? This isn't a lot of fun, except if you're going to, you know, catch on fire uh, snails or worms, right? You know you did it, right? especially as boys. But then I looked inside the box and there was this beautiful psalm in here. And it says this, the very top, magnify in a biblical context concerning our God, to esteem highly, to worship, to glorify, to praise, to exalt. Psalm 34. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and they will rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Part of Mary's song has a flavor of Psalm 34. I will magnify the Lord. It was her way of life now. A song inspired in her heart as she received the word from Gabriel about who her son would be. My soul magnifies the Lord. Oh, that that would be our life. That we would wake up in the morning and magnify God. That we would get married and magnify God with our marriage. That we would eat and drink. That we would work to magnify God. That we would play our sports to magnify God. That we would go to school. We would search our career out all to magnify God. Mary couldn't help but sing about her God and His love and that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the one who would come, not to just stay this cute little babe, but to die on the cross for our sin, to rise again, that whoever should believe upon Him should not perish but have life. I have to magnify God because of that good news. And so Mary sings her song. What does she praise God for? Look at what the scriptures say. How does she magnify God? This first little section, the first few verses of this song are very personal. And and I want you to, to recognize one thing about our God. He's a very personal God. He's not way out there. Maybe checking in occasionally. He's right with you. Our God is personal. Remember Psalm 39, 139? I've knit you together in your mother's womb. I know everything about you before you rise up, before you sit down. There's nowhere you can go that I'm not there. God knows you deeply, knit you together. She says this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, verse 47, in God my Savior. This is one thing that's awesome about Mary, that she's just like us, a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, this is why Christmas exists. This is why God sent his Son. Because we are sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot have life without him. And life without him leads to death. And Mary acknowledges and sings out loud, Oh, I am so thankful for God, my Savior. Mary was a sinner just like us. And then he says, she says, He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has regarded her. He looked upon her with favor. He has chosen her. She is nobody. And he looked upon her 
You know, I was trying to think if there was any spiritual significance whatsoever to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I think there may be, just a little bit. You know what? Rudolph kind of was a nobody reindeer. He was an outcast, like Mary. But yet, this reindeer that nobody wanted to be around and had no worth, according to everybody else, was chosen. Was chosen. And Rudolph would lead the way, would magnify, would light up the sky and lead the way. I know that's really deep and profound, but just soak on that for a while. (laughs) But that's what Mary says. She says, I'm I'm, I'm humble. I'm in a lowly state, and you chose me. A kid out of Nazareth. That's like Jersey, you know? You chose me. It's a beautiful picture. There's one thing I want you to know about God's love for you is that he chooses you. He wants you. He knows you. He wants your life surrendered unto him. The thing that's amazing about Mary, many magnify Mary, but she never magnified herself. Ever. All she would want is others to magnify Christ. Everything she would want is that God is glorified, is magnified. My God, I cannot help but magnify you. I am a humble servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. That's just God's hand upon her. Holy. He is holy. This is why we need a Savior. We are not holy. We cannot be in the presence of God without being cleansed by the blood of Christ. And Mary is saying, He's done this for me. His hand has been upon me. I will magnify you, O God. In the second stanza, he goes on what he does for us. Who will this Messiah be? What's he all about? Look at verse 50. His mercy extends for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's us. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away empty. God shows mercy on the helpless. He shows mercy on the humble. He shows mercy on the hungry. This God is turning the world upside down or actually right side up. There's a theme that runs throughout the Gospel of Luke. And it's the theme of reversal. Everything that the world thinks that life should go this way, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Here's what my kingdom looks like. Here's what life in me looks like. It's it's the opposite. It's the reverse direction. And we see that in what God is going to do as Mary sings this song. The proud he makes to run away. The weak he lifts up. The mighty he removes from their man-made thrones. The hungry, they shall be filled. 
And those who think they are rich walk away realizing that they were always empty. Scott McKnight has a wonderful book about Mary, just who she was as a person and her life, and gives a lot of amazing historical fact about just what was going on in the culture. And he speaks to all that Mary must have been going through at this time as Mary proclaimed the Magnificat. They're powerful words for a young 15-year-old girl in the culture she was living in. You see, at the time, the most powerful man in the world was Caesar Augustus in Rome. He was the most important. And Rome had good news. Rome had the good news that Caesar reigns. And when Julius Caesar died, and Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, when Julius Caesar died, he was given the title Divine One. And so what that made Augustus, his adopted son, is Son of the Divine One and or Son of God. There was coins that are out there that you will find the inscription of Augustus, and under it, it will say Son of God. Augustus ended the civil wars that were ripping up Rome, all that was taking place in Rome with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And so he was called the bringer of peace. And because of his continued work all throughout the Roman Empire and against the enemies, he brought into place the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And because he was so powerful... And because everybody adored him and all that he did, and because of how Rome was delivered from the enemies, he was called Soter, Savior of Rome. And all was declared and poured out. Let us declare this good news that was their gospel about Augustus. Scott McKnight speaks of an inscription that is written about Augustus. It said this, By sending Augustus as a savior for us and to those who came after us to make war to cease, that is, to bring peace, the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning for the world of the good news that has come to men through him, Augustus. Do those titles, do those words seem familiar? This is what Mary is living right in the middle of. Under the authority of Rome and under Caesar Augustus, who is called the one who brings peace, who is called the Savior, and as they declare his name, good news is brought by him. Yet in Luke, Mary is told, Jesus will be the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God. In Luke 2, when the angel comes, fear not, I bring you good news, the gospel. I bring you a gospel that for unto us this day is born a Savior in the city of David. And the angels saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. I don't think it's an accident that the same words are used. Of Jesus. You see, 
a system is going to be destroyed. It's going to be overthrown. A way of life is going to be challenged. Powerful rulers are going to be upended. They're going to be defied because the real Son of God, the real Savior, the real bringer of peace is coming. And that is the good news. And so Mary says, I must magnify the Lord with this good news right in the middle of a time when Augustus was the man. He was the Savior in his own brain. Boy, that's a lot to absorb for a 15-year-old girl. But she knew God. And she would magnify him. Because Caesar's life ended. His kingdom ended. But Christ's kingdom will never end. When the shepherds showed up and they heard the good news about Jesus, a Savior is born, a news of great joy into your land. When they heard all of this, They were so excited, and the Magi got word, and they were so excited about what's going on. Everybody's excited about everything that's happening. Zechariah is touched in the temple. There's all kinds of stuff going around the birth of Jesus. And what does the Scripture say? Scripture say, And Mary treasured up and pondered all of these things, that were being said. And again, you go, that is a beautiful hallmark moment right there. You can just see the painting of of Mary with light on her face and and a, a little smile. And it just seems so warm and cozy. But that's not it at all. The words given about Mary that she treasured up and that she pondered these things are the words that are given to prophets who ponder the word of God when it's given to them. And what does a prophet do? A prophet receives the word of God and he weighs out all that God is saying and then what does he do? He must proclaim it because this is God's heart for man. I must proclaim what God has for you. One person got it. The shepherds are running around. Zachariah doesn't quite get it. One person seemed to get it. 15-year-old Mary. I have weighed out all that is being said about my son. And I must proclaim it. Because this is the word of God. To mankind. His love is about to be poured out upon mankind through his son Jesus. And you must know the good news of Jesus, that he is Savior of the world. And so we get the first Christmas song as Mary sings it out. You know, we thank God for the apostles, we thank God for all the disciples who walked with Jesus and gave us the scriptures, the New, the New Testament. But one thing that we must think about 
is Mary's role in the middle of all of it. How do we get this story? I was talking with Laura Bottomer this week just about Mary and her person. And and she thought, and I'm right there with her, she thought, isn't it amazing that we have all this account of Mary's journey? And do you think that just came from the guys and their observations? I don't think so. I think Mary couldn't shut up about the story, the good news, and magnify God. And so the stories that we read in the scriptures, and as Mary had a relationship with the disciples, I'm sure the story just kept going. Let me tell you about who my son's going to be. Let me tell you what he's all about. Young Mary telling the story. But she wrote this Magnificat in a time that was absolutely in upheaval, in a time when Augustus ruled... And she could not help but magnify God. She didn't care the consequence of that because her God's a big God. E. Stanley Jones wrote, The Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. And here's something that's amazing in history. In 1980, in 1980 the government of Guatemala literally banned, banned, the public reading of the Magnificat. You want to know why? This is what they said. Because this reading and these verses are too politically subversive. They turn governments upside down. They speak of authority being overtaken. It riles people up. 15-year-old Mary had to magnify God. Can you imagine if someone told Mary 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, government's going to forbid that people read this in public. One day, Jesus would grow up and he would defy Herod. He would defy Pilate. He would defy the Sanhedrin. He would defy the appeals to Caesar. And he would establish his throne. His kingdom that would reign forever. And it would be established by his death on the cross. And his victory over death. His resurrection and his life. And his kingdom is established as we believe upon him and have life with the reigning king. Mary magnified God. You know, I was thinking of Mary's time with Jesus just as he grew up. And I was wondering, Jesus, as a young boy, growing up in their home, how did Jesus learn about God? Obviously, he was God, and he had the Holy Spirit. But how did he learn about the character of God in human form? I think Mary kept magnifying the Lord. And I think she kept singing this song over Jesus. 
Maybe when he went to bed at night, my soul glorifies the Lord. The mighty one has done great things for me, Jesus. And it's interesting, he's going to bring down rulers. He's lifted up the humble. He's going to feed the hungry. Let me sing about God and about who you're to become. And you can only imagine those songs sticking in the heart of Jesus. Mary ministering to Jesus. I wonder for you and me, are we God magnifiers? Everywhere we go, with all of our life, that God is magnified. That we begin to see how big, how vast, how good, how holy God is. It changes the way you look at the rest of life. Everything has a different perspective when you magnify God, doesn't it? Problems begin to look a little different. Fears get smaller. Worries get smaller. The future gets smaller. Relational problems. When there's a real big God that we serve and that we know loves us, and has control over our lives, all of these things become small because God is magnified. Mary had a song to sing. It was a song that was at the core of her soul. My soul will magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful song. I thank you for the truth that you are indeed the Lord and Savior. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who came not to just be born, but to grow up and to pay the price for our sin on the cross. And Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would pour out upon this room that those who have not known you and and who have not surrendered their life to you, that you would speak to their hearts. And that you would remind them that this is not just some sweet story. This is a song that is life-altering. And Lord, would they finally come to a place right now that they would magnify you, they would see you and know you, and know that your son Jesus is the Savior of the world, And I just want to encourage you this morning, ask Jesus right now into your heart. Lord, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for washing and cleansing me and making me new. Thank you for giving me new life in you, Jesus. I invite you to be my Lord. Lead me. And with my new life, may I magnify you. Thank you that you didn't just stay a babe in the manger. My life belongs to you. And so, Father, we thank you for the good news that a Savior has been born. 
We thank you for the good news of life in you, now and forevermore. In your precious name, amen.